This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, can you give us that intro look? Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, watched some YouTube about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Gerondale. David, are you good? I am good. How you doing? I'm also good. Right on. It's been hot, but I'm good. Yeah, I, I think it's supposed to cool down a little bit now, okay, that's but good. I'm not sure. Anyway, yep. what are we going to learn about? Uh, we're going to do the Outer Space Treaty and International Space Law. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there were some big headlines about this recently. Was there? With, I hope yeah. you remember them. Tardigrades on the moon. Hmm. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully we're going to basically go over all of it. Okay, cool. So this is, will be basically all of space law. Right on. Okay. Um, We'll start with the intro. Space law. And then we'll do the... Yeah, we're going to do the intro, then we're going to actually get into the text of it. Okay. We're going to basically read the entire text of the Outer Space Oh, Treaty. shit. Okay. Um, then we're going to talk duty. about other You've got a law. lot of pages there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we're, we'll try to do it quick enough. I don't know. But we basically, rush, we're but also yeah. going to need to stop and talk about each section so we can just like explain basically what it means. Okay. To ourselves. I think some so of space law, it. wasn't it like copy and pasted from the An- Antarctic Treaty? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, the outer space treaty is somewhat taken from the Antarctic treaty, but is different in a lot of different ways. Like it's, well, I'm sure they specify sub- different bodies and it's stuff. It's less substantial and like, for example, you can't really own anything in yeah, space. That stuff's going to have to change <laughs> like real soon. The owning of stuff in space. Oh, certainly. How do we want pre- private enterprises to be encouraged to go to the moon and help us? with industrializing resources off of Earth that are damaging the environment. My whole thing is, no, like, no, no, let's no, get the... heavy industry okay, off no, of Earth. Okay, okay, okay. The, we're going to get into it, but I don't actually believe... You can correct me when you get there. But I don't actually believe that the Outer Space Treaty stops owning of celestial objects acquired in space, but does stop sovereignty or, like, claims on selections of space so anyway let's keep going yeah we got a lot (laughs) (laughs) um the outer space treaty is the basis for all of international space law yep gotcha and its full name is the treaty on principles governing the activities of states and exploration and use of outer space including the moon and other celestial bodies that's a mouthful Eh, basically sums it all up though (laughs) it's Um, thorough It is thorough. It was accepted by the United Nations in 1966 and put into force on October 10th, 1967. Okay. So it was like kind of during the height of the Cold War. Yeah, and the space race. And the space race. Like Sputnik had already gotten up there. That was a huge embarrassment to America. So we were all on, we were like on the path to get up to to the moon by then. And then people people were all talking about putting, putting uh, nuclear weapons into, into space. 
and using them from space. Yeah. Yep. And so that was a thing that everybody wanted to do. And uh, basically everybody kind of agreed to it, but the United States and the Soviet Union at the time had like different means at which they wanted to go about it. So like the Soviet Union, according to the Department of Defense, was like, yeah, we'll do that, but you got to take away some close military bases. Oh. And America's like, nah, fuck that. And then eventually the Soviet Union signed on to another treaty. And then when they signed on to that treaty, they eventually came to terms with the rest of the United Nations on the Outer Space Treaty. And then that's when it got put into place. Okay, when it became like, when everyone was actually abiding by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Outer Space... At least space, in writing. At least in writing, yep. Um, it's super short. It only has 17 articles. Like the the Law of the Sea Treaty that regulates the use of the oceans is like hundreds of articles. Oh. So it's like really succinct and vague. Okay. And so like... Doesn't cover a lot of stuff, actually. Yeah, probably they weren't broad. They weren't really probably thinking about details at the time. They were probably trying to just prevent certain things, very certain things, and activities and types of stuff. Right, militarization. So, like today, 109 countries are parties to the treaty, and 23 of them have signed it but haven't completed ratification. Interesting. So, like a large chunk of countries are part of it. Yeah, probably all of them with a space program. Yeah, yeah. Um, Some of the main things it does is it prohibits the placing of nuclear weapons in space. Okay, positive. And it limits the use of the moon and uh, all other celestial bodies to peaceful purposes only. The problem with that I see in the future, though, is that while I think nuclear rockets are a really bad idea here on Earth, um, and that's exactly what the Soviet Union is testing right now, Mm -hmm. nuclear cruise missiles... Basically, they can circle the Earth indefinitely because they're nuclear-powered, but they put off nuclear exhaust. Yeah. Sorry, they put off nuclear exhaust. Um, But out in outer space, there's no downside. Like, that place is saturated with radiation anyway. Yeah. Once you get out of near-Earth orbit, there's no problem with having a nuclear-powered spacecraft. And uh, I'm way for that, actually. Yeah, I think they could find workarounds. I think but at that point, a nuclear-powered spacecraft is, in essence, a weapon. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. if you can go that fast, all you need to do is run into something. Mm-hmm. And you've, you, you've done more than any nuclear warhead that we possess. Yep. Um, another thing it does is it establishes that space shall be free for exploration and use by all nations. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does say that no nation can claim sovereignty of outer space or any celestial body. I agree with that, too. Yeah. Nobody should be able to be like, I planted a flag, yeah. I own this entire yeah. thing. The moon is America's. Yeah, no. I don't, I don't no. think that doesn't make no goddamn sense. Uh-uh. Um, here's what it doesn't do, the Outer Space Treaty. It doesn't prohibit the placement of conventional weapons in orbit. Okay. And so, like, some highly destructive attack strategies, such as kinetic bombardment... Oh, that's actually really ...are still cool. potentially, potentially allowable. I kind of thought you'd know a little bit about it. We don't actually... As far as I... As far as declassified information goes, we don't have any of these in orbit, and mm. nor, neither does the Soviet Union. But they've been talked about as plausible since the Cold War, and all they really are 
is what it means by kinetic bombardment is you just have it's basically you just, just have a big stuff falling yeah, really fast. You just let it fall. You don't have to launch it. There's no recoil. You just let it fall. And so what they were developing during the Cold War um and eventually got scrapped is a satellite that would have basically all of these just big iron rods that were fairly aerodynamic, but they're just big iron rods, pretty thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be able to pick up the profile of, or not the profile, but the aerial image of a tank. It would just basically recognize one thing from orbit, what a tank looks like. And it would be in really oh. low orbit, and then it would just drop that we're gonna rod talk, we're, on we're, tank. Oh, no, we're not going to talk about that. That's what his entire different. job was. It was to clear a field of tanks. Okay, that's pretty sick. But yeah, that By dropping isn't allowed iron rods anymore. Um, so yeah, I did think since the Outer Space Treaty is super short, um, we could just like read it and discuss each article after we hear its contents. Okay, yeah. Yeah. We'll only actually talk about the first 13 articles, though, because the rest are just dealing with how to amend it and how to sign on to it. I see. Um, so they're basically procedural. Yeah. The other ones are space law. Gotcha. But the others are like how to how to incorporate this law and how to change it in the future if you want to. Yeah. And there are some other things. Like the text pretty much repeats itself a lot. So every time the text says outer space, it also says including the moon and other celestial objects. But I took it out. Yeah. Yeah. That gets tedious. Also, um, we'll say parties instead of states parties to the treaty. Okay. And then the third thing is all over the document, it says in order to promote international cooperation in the exploration and use of outer space. So I kind of took that out too. Okay. So it's kind of fluff. Yeah, it's kind of fluff. It's restating the mission. The entire thing is in order to promote international cooperation. Right. All right, so let's get into it. Article 1. The exploration and use of outer space shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interest of all countries, irrespective of their degree of economic or scientific development, and shall be the province of all mankind. That's the first one. Well, it's not the first one, but it's like the first subsection. Of Article 1. Okay. So basically, it's everything done in space has to be done for the benefit... Of everyone. ...and is the province of all mankind. Yep, regardless of technological Mm -hmm. um, ability. Yep. Outer space shall be free for exploration and use by all states without discrimination of any kind, on a basis of equality and in accordance with international law, and there shall be free access to all areas of celestial bodies... There shall be freedom of scientific investigation in outer space, and states shall facilitate and encourage international cooperation in such investigations. So that's Article 1. That's carried out pretty well. You even see, like, um, for a while there, American um, missions to ISS weren't able to... We didn't have any rockets. NASA didn't have any rockets, basically, um, that were regarded as fully safe. Um, for launch, and so we were using Russian rockets, and well, we yeah. we frequently uh, like we were That's basically why putting so cool. our That's payloads. Why Article on. one is so cool because yep. basically the treaty requires you to cooperate. Yeah, and that's like uh, I feel like that's what also helped facilitate things like the ISS in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I watched a video 
while researching this that was the ISS responding to the 50th anniversary. Oh, okay. And basically that was their whole thing. Like the mission is the outer space treaty. Yeah. Basically cooperation, science and study. That place forces continuous cooperation because those astronauts depend on continual supplies um, from all the countries involved. Yeah, and they have to work together in order to figure out how to get them there safely. Yep. Yeah. Article 2. Outer space is not subject to national appropriation by claims of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. Straightforward. Straightforward. You can't claim a body or an area of space as being exclusively belonging to your nation. No matter how you try. Yeah. Um, Article 3. Parties shall carry on activities in the exploration and use of outer space in accordance with international law. In the interest of maintaining international peace and security and promoting international cooperation and understanding. So it's like basically international law applies in space. Gotcha. Article 4. So, like, people still have human rights and stuff, yeah. basically. Yeah. And genocide's bad. Yeah, and yeah. And, yeah. You basically have to abide War by crimes still UN. apply. Like, international law. So, international like, inter- law. everything that applies in an, that would go to an international court. If somehow you found a way to <laughs> need to deal with uh, outer space maritime law, you'd have to go to that sea treaty. That's hundreds of pages long, presumably. Oh, Unless weird. they didn't come up with one. For space. <laughs> they yeah. probably would. I wonder, like, yeah, interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens when we have to apply more specific laws, like what yeah. comes of that, when we actually have people going out trying to grab asteroids, bring them <laughs> back home. asteroids. <laughs> uh, let's get to Article 4. Okay. Um, parties undertake not to place in orbit around the earth any objects carrying nuclear weapons of any other uh, or any other kinds of weapons of mass destruction install such weapons on celestial bodies or station such weapons outside space in any other manner so yeah i could see some problems there yeah it's pretty vague right yeah and also like like, yeah it's vague on what constitutes a weapon of mass destruction mm -hmm. because it says uh, nuclear weapons or any other weapon of mass destruction. One of the easiest ways to get material off the moon into Earth orbit would be to basically build a magnetic catapult, which could just as easily launch, you know, big rocks at yeah. Earth if you if you just like calculated the trajectory oh, differently. That's like a that's like a Schnuffendorf from that's like Schnuffendorf plan. What's his name from Phineas and Phineas and Ferb? Oh, I don't know. I never watched it. Oh, that's good. Um, I know there's a platypus. <laughs> Jonathan doesn't know either. I can tell. That's Perry. <laughs> um, so, yeah. No nukes in space. And the moon and other celestial bodies shall be used by states exclusively for peaceful purposes. The establishment of military bases, installations, and fortifications, the testing of any type of weapons, and the conduct of military maneuvers on celestial bodies shall be forbidden. Okay. So um, that kind of assumes the military can't be on there, can't be out in space. But the next part of Article 4 says, The use of military personnel for scientific research or for any other peaceful purposes shall not be prohibited. 
Okay. The use of any equipment or facility necessary for peaceful exploration of the moon and other celestial bodies shall also not be prohibited. I see. Okay, so you could argue that nuclear-powered engines are mm-hmm. necessary. Yeah. Because on some level, like, they are. You're not going to use chemical rockets to get to Saturn. Well, yeah, and uh, if you can support a claim that it's not actually for military purposes, then you might be able to get around that by Article 4. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. really, like, what I said about nuclear engines applies to anything that's going fast in space. Like, you know, it, it Voyager is going unimaginably fast. Yeah. Um, and it's going relatively slow. Um, and so if it were to run into something, it would have the kinetic potential to... It would basically act like a nuke. Yeah. Just destroy, like, pretty much whatever it hit. Yeah. Up to a certain size. Yep. I mean, it would be destroyed, of course. Well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it would it would essentially act like a, a small nuclear device. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Article 5 is pretty cool. It's about astronauts. Parties shall regard astronauts as envoys of mankind in outer space and shall render to them all possible assistance in the event of an accident, distress, or emergency landing on the territory of another state party or on the high seas. When astronauts make such a landing, they shall be safely and promptly returned to the state of registry of their space vehicle. Yeah, very reasonable. Yeah. In carrying on activities in outer space and on celestial bodies, the astronauts of one state party shall render all possible assistance to the astronauts of other state parties. Which, awesome. and yeah, and that helps make ISS possible. Because mm-hmm. um, no matter if they, something fucks up and they land anywhere. Yeah, and or if um, something fucks up up in space, like you, your astronauts and you as a ground-based um, uh, orbital launch uh, center have the responsibility to use every resource possible to help those astronauts, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're from your program or your nation. Yeah, and the last part of Article 5 is like, if you notice something that's dangerous in space, you got to tell everybody else. Oh, and okay. then, and then the Secretary General of the United Nations, after getting that information, has to disseminate it as quickly and as effectively as possible. All right. So, like, if an asteroid's headed for some other nation's territory, mm-hmm. you can't just like keep that shit. You to can't yourself. just keep it to yourself at all. Um, Article six: Parties shall bear international responsibility for national activities in outer space whether such activities are carried on by governmental agencies or by non-governmental entities. These activities of non-governmental entities in outer space shall require authorization and continuing supervision by the appropriate party to the treaty. Makes sense. Yeah, so even like corporate entities... You're responsible for what private entities do. From your state. From your, yeah. And then Seven basically says that over again. Like, whoever, whatever party that launches or does a launch of a object that goes into space is responsible. I see. For, or the component parts or stuff that it finds up there and uses up there. I see. Okay. Like if it makes a base up there and that's responsible for something, then the party involved in the creating of it or parties are responsible, responsible. for any end product yep. or result. Article 8. A party to the treaty on whose registry an object launched into outer space is carried shall retain jurisdiction and control over such object and over any personnel thereof, while in outer space or on a celestial body. So, 
the next one sums it up. Ownership of objects launched in outer space, including objects landed on or constructed on a celestial body and of their component parts is not affected by their presence in outer space or on a celestial body or by their return to Earth. I see. So basically, no matter where they are, that you still ha- own the responsibility. Own the responsibility, and com- and you actually own the structure itself. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. It can't enter some territory on which it defaults to someone else's control. Yeah. It's yours, no matter where it is. Mm-hmm. Such objects, or component- even on Earth, even on Earth, even once it returns, mm-hmm. and um. When it comes to, like, let's say an object falls onto your property, this is the next one, you have to, upon request, furnish identifying data upon the return and give it back. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Article 9. Parties shall be guided by the principle of cooperation and mutual assistance and shall conduct all activities in outer space with due regard to the corresponding interests of all other parties to the treaty. Oh, man, that's going to generate a lot of lawsuits in the future. Yeah. That's going to generate, <laughs> that a, lot generate a lot of lawsuits. A lot of lawsuits. That's funny. But that's how laws get made. That's how things like become more yeah. um, applicable and practical, mm-hmm. f- going from vague to real. Because rulings become jurisprudence. Yep, exactly. Even if, it, even if uh, an amendment or a new law doesn't happen, now we have precedent. Mm-hmm. Precedent, yeah. Parties shall pursue studies of outer space and conduct exploration of them so as to avoid their harmful contamination and also adverse changes in the environment of the Earth, resulting from the introduction of extraterrestrial matter, and, where necessary, shall adopt appropriate measures for this purpose. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I mean, I don't think there's the need for a whole lot of things that are gathered in space to ever come back here. Because it could be just studied pretty dang well there. Well, also, we studied well, yes, and also, like, industry-wise, there's not a whole lot out in the rest of the solar system that doesn't exist here other than, like, helium. Yeah. But most of the things we would need helium for would be in space anyhow, uh, except for maybe, like, fusion plants here on so Earth. So we could just get the helium up there, use it up there. Yeah. And I guess, and, and the main point is, is that you escaped a gravity prison why would you go back? Why would you just bring goods back here to then be like refined or do whatever so that they can be shipped back up maybe? Like that that it costs a lot of money. Yeah, that costs a lot of money. Once you're out of once you're in free fall, once you're out of the gravity prison, stay out of it. Yeah. Everything is way cheaper. Yeah. You don't have to launch it. Um that's th- the beauty of asteroids actually. We have all that metal here. Right, like we have all that crap here. The beauty of them is actually that you don't have to launch them into orbit. You can just disassemble them and use them in space. Exactly, that's yeah. the beauty. It's expensive to go out and find a mountain in the middle of space and bring it back when we have mountains here, but it's not more expensive than launching a mountain into space. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll and we will need a mountain at some point. Yeah, we will. Oh, we will need many, many mountains. Yep. See, I hope. See episode Kardashev scale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, let's continue with article nine. If a party has reason to believe that an activity or an experiment planned by it or its nationals in outer space would cause potential harmful interference with activities of other state parties, 
it shall undertake an appropriate international consultations before proceeding with any such activity or experiment. Okay, so like, let's say somebody the builds... The next a- one is kind of the opposite. So if you suspect that something anybody else will be doing in space is going to be harmful, you have the right to request consultation. So like if you build like a colony somewhere on Mars and then somebody else is like, all right, we're going to nuke the poles to to help make it more habitable. And you're like, no, we, we, we already live here. Yeah. You can't like mass terraform the place while we live here. That's going to f- fuck our shit. Yeah, or like... Or you can't like just send massive amounts of space debris up. And that's actually you can't what ram comets into Mars now. We already live here. Yeah. It's not a viable way to get water here anymore. That part yeah. Um, but like what they were thinking of was largely in response to this thing called Project Westford. Okay. And uh, that was a test carried out by MIT on behalf of the US government in nineteen sixty one and sixty three. Okay. And basically, like, during the Cold War, the only ways they had to communicate with people overseas was either using the ionosphere for radio or by under- underground sea cables. Okay, yep. And they basically just thought that the Russians could easily disconnect those, and then they'd have to really rely on radio, radio which sometimes is kind of like... And it's easy to intercept. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't direct it. Everyone can... If you're If you're launching it far enough... For a country to hear, everyone in that country can pick it up if they want to. So, yeah, here's what they did. And it kind of worked on their second try. They put a ring of 580 million tiny bits of copper needles into medium Earth orbit. Oh, I... Yep, I've heard of this. Yep. And the tiny copper needles were half the length of the 8 gigahertz signal used in the study. And so that, like, basically, they used it to passively support the project's parabolic dish gotcha. in order to reach other places across the oceans. It was a big, giant reflector. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, the project was shelled because nations and scientists were like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's not cool at all. Yeah. I don't think Kepler syndrome. Is that what it's called? No, what is it called? Mm, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, somebody, somebody in the comments, please correct me. Cause I can't, I'm embarrassed about this, but I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Kepler syndrome, but it's the idea that like you could under the right circumstances or wrong circumstances, create a runaway, re- runaway reaction of, um, space debris basically to where any orbital activity is impossible because it's too oh, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what that movie gravity is about. I've never seen it, but I think that's what that's about. Yeah, yeah, like, people were basically just saying that Americans were making shit tons of space debris, dirty in space, and yeah. they were right. Yeah, but, because that stuff's, but the, that stuff's bullets up there. But the ambassador to the United Nations was like, listen, it's only going to stay up there for three years because then the sun's rays are going to push it down. Um, and so, like, they basically made it a non-issue, but that's why it was added to the Outer Space Treaty, The if you think it's going to be harmful, it needs to be talked about. And it's it gets broken sometimes. Most recently, China broke it when they basically launched a missile to intercept one of their um, uh, satellites that was in a decaying orbit. Oh. And it basically just blasted the satellite into thousands of tiny little fragments. And those fragments have entered the... Uh, have possibly entered the orbits of other satellites. Oh, shit. And so they got quite a bit of international flack for doing that because it violates the treaty. Yeah, that's kind of fucked. You can't do that. 
you have to decommission satellites in a fashion to where they burn up in the atmosphere in one yeah. piece or uh, find another way of of getting them out of Earth orbit. Yeah, or like Wikipedia says, their numbers diminish over time as they occasionally re-enter. As of May 2019, 40 clumps of needles are still in orbit. Oh my goodness, that's like, that happened in 61. 61. They'll decay in three years. Yeah, they'll decay in three years. Yeah, fucking right, they're still up there. Jeez. Um, that's ridiculous. Man, that's so irresponsible. Well, yeah, yeah. And the sci-fi I was just reading, or I'm reading currently, uh, it's called Ice Pusher by Alistair Reynolds. It's great. It's about the near future, uh, 2057. But anyway, they always, if they have to get rid of uh, trash from their spaceship, they always throw it away from the ecliptic plane. Okay. So that eventually the hope is that it'll enter like a non-ecliptic orbit around the sun or just pass out of the solar system. That's kind of cool. So instead of orbiting as pass pretty much everything system, else but. does around around the object, it just like goes around in a different way and so has less yeah, likelihood so, to strike stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's still not, that's not ideal, actually. <laughs> the no, idea would still be that you just don't shit. launch crap into space. But. Yeah, especially near an, like a celestial object in its, yeah. in its orbit, especially. Yeah. All right. Unless you're so close that it's going to burn up. Right, like if you're around oh, yeah, Jupiter, yeah. just like you know, get close enough and dump all your shit. Yeah, it's just gonna burn up on its way in there. Yep, get crunched. That's fine. Become a big old part of <laughs> Jupiter. Was article a part of big old Jupiter. Article ten: Parties shall consider, on a basis of equality, any request by other parties to tr- to the treaty to be afforded an opportunity to observe the flight of space objects launched by those states. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, like, if you're ever going to launch anything in space, pretty much anybody else can send somebody to come wa- watch you do it. Okay, or use their, like, it's it's basically not espionage to use their equipment to observe it. Yeah. The nature of such an opportunity for observation and the conditions under which it could be afforded shall be determined by agreement between the states concerned. So before you can send something up, if somebody wants to watch it, you have to make an agreement on the conditions under they can wa- under which they can watch it. And all parties have to agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Article 11. Parties conducting activities in outer space agree to inform the Secretary General of the United Nations as well as the public and the international scientific community to the greatest extent feasible and practicable on the nature, conduct, locations, and results of such activities. On receiving the said information, the Secretary General of the United Nations should prepare should prepare to disseminate it immediately and effectively. Gotcha. So yeah, we basically, about that. yep, information is to be shared. Yep. In space. Article twelve: All stations, installations, equipments, and space vehicles on the Moon and other celestial bodies shall be open to representatives of other parties to the treaty. Such representatives shall give reasonable advance note notice of a projected visit in order that appropriate consultations may be held and that maximum precautions may be taken to assure safety and to avoid interference with normal operations in the facility to be visited. That seems really reasonable. Because, like, what I said earlier applies, like, from the moon, you can basically just drop rocks on Earth. Like, think about it as, like, a city on a hill. Yeah, you can just roll crap down onto us because we live in the larger gravity well. Yeah. 
So yeah. So yeah, it makes sense that you wanna you wanna know. You don't be want... able to send anybody. Send people some of your be people up there. People shouldn't be keeping secrets up there. Yeah, it's no. too dangerous. It is too dangerous for everyone. And the last article we're going to talk about is the provisions of this treaty shall apply to the activities of parties to the treaty in the exploration and use of outer space, whether such activities are carried on by a single party or jointly with other states, including cases where they're carried on within the framework of international intergovernmental organizations. Okay. So, basically... It doesn't matter if your intergovernmental agency is working together. The, the, the thing still applies. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We, we got through that. That's almost the entire, that's pretty much the entirety of the Outer Space Treaty. Okay. Want to take a break real quick? Sure. Yeah, let's take a break. Okay. Not for like ads. We don't have advertisers, but it's fucking hot in here right now. Yeah. So we'll be back. We're in a rabbit pen. Like, that's not <laughs> just a quip. We, it's not just a quip. We record in a rabbit pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and get some air. And you're you're going to get nicotine. Oh, yeah. Didn't think about that. Oh. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so when we come back, we're going to talk about the few modifications to international space law. All right, we're back from break. We've just been talking about how, and Johnny hasn't been sweating at all in this room. David's greasy, and I'm a fucking showerhead, which always happens. That's why they call me. I have me. not been sweating, though. Yeah, you're just I'm greasy. always greasy at this point in the day. That's why they call me sweats. I haven't washed my face <laughs> in few hours (laughs) (laughs) all right so the last thing we really got to get through in order to talk about all of international space law is four things in particular we got to talk about the rescue agreement the liability convention the registration convention and the moon treaty okay so the rescue agreement came out in 1968 and it elaborates more of the rescue provisions in Article 5 of the Outer Space Treaty. Yeah, because they covered that vaguely. Yeah, but it's still relatively vague and de- not very detailed. Okay. The Liability Convention came out in 1972, and it expands on the liability rules of the Outer Space Treaty. Gotcha. The Registration Convention of 1974 requires states to furnish the United Nations with details about the orbit of each space object. Yeah. That's yeah. practical and makes common sense. sense. Um, yeah. I do think space debris will have to be its own episode. Because when I usually used to think about it, I'm like, space is so big. Like, who cares that there's something small up there? But, like, my mind has been changed. Like, space debris is actually fucked. Oh, it's a, it's one of the most pressing issues in orbit. Because if, if Kepler syndrome um, were to occur you could basically count out decades and possibly even a century more before orbit becomes um, safe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at the fucking needles. Yeah, exactly. They're still fucking up there. Yeah, and they're in a fairly low orbit. Mm-hmm. And they're tiny. They're fucking tiny. They could just get pushed down. Um, the Moon Treaty is the last one, and according to Wikipedia... It's a multilateral treaty that turns jurisdiction of all celestial bodies 
including the orbits around such bodies, over to the international community. Thus, all activities must conform to international laws, including the United Nations Charter. In practice, it is a failed treaty because it has not been ratified by any state that engages in self-launched manned space exploration or has plans to do so. Hmm. Yeah, so like the United States, Russia, China, and Japan, they're not, they're not signed on. Europe. Europe, yeah, the large, the larger part of the member states of the European Space Agency, mm. not signed on. So it's like kind of like a part of the direction of where we're trying to head. But after reading it, like I can kind of understand why some of the nations, particularly the United States, won't sign on to it, and the larger nation states. Um, it bans exploration and use of celestial bodies without the approval or benefit of other states. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. Fuck noise. that. We're not going to be asking the UN or like other states. If we can to get all... approval to, to mine an asteroid. Yeah. No, that, that becomes no. so overly fucking bureaucratic that just nothing would ever happen. Yeah. And I'm not down with that at all. Um, it declares that for any samples obtained during research activities, the state that obtained them must consider making part of it available to all countries and scientific communities for research. I, I so could agree to some, thing. I could agree to like some version of that where like, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. On some level you have to incentivize nation states to want to invest money in this. And, yeah. And if, and if, Literally, you do all the work to bring stuff back, and then everyone gets equal time looking at it or something like that. Like, that's all hippy-dippy and nice, but I don't know if that works practically. Yeah, and another thing it does is it requires an international regime be set up to ensure safe and orderly development and management of the resources and sharing of the benefits from them. That sharing of the benefits up from them, that's why I think that, like, nah, nah. Yeah, also, I don't, think... I, don't, I don't know if we need... Okay, so, like, we will need to set up an administrative apparatus to govern activities in space, certainly. Mm. But if, if what we're attempting to do is to create this endless number of hoops and red tape before any activity can be undertaken, if we have to... If we have to take samples of every and comet and send it back so it can be checked for signs of life before we're allowed to mine it for ice, we're just never, ever going to be able to exploit the resources of our solar system. And I'm sure yeah. there are probably some of our listeners that are like, yeah, that's a good thing. Let, let, like, look at what we did to Earth. We can't exploit <laughs> the rest of it. But like, I'm of the opposite mind. We, I kind of think so. Yeah. We can... We, all the evidence points that there's nobody else who is in a place to do what we're able to do. Well, and especially in our so, own solar system. Yeah, certainly in our own solar system. I would argue probably our own galaxy. But anyway, oh, yeah. um, so I, I think it, at this point, I think our guardianship of the Earth becomes let's start exploiting the solar system and its resources so we can get a lot of our industry off of Earth, a lot of the nasty stuff off of Earth, and continue progress, continue advancing. Um, I'm working together, though. Yeah. Like, oh, I certainly. Do agree with, I like, don't want one corporate entity or one state controlling um, access to certain resources or access to certain scientific data, but 
One I do I, think that there needs to be a certain amount of um, there needs to be rights to certain types of ownership. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you need to be able to own the stuff that you take and create. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, otherwise, what's the point? And they like, covered they covered that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it should be formalized a little bit more. I think so. But one of the, like some of the things I do like about the Outer Space Treaty is that I like that it it, it makes it explicit that space is for peace. Um, science is to happen and continue unabated. 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 Um, if somebody wants to send envoys to your station, they can. You just have to work it out between each other. Yeah, and if people need to crash land at your station, you need to fucking help them yeah. and then take care of them Absolutely. and then send them back uh, to wherever they wanted to, where they come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, it's basically the Outer Space Treaty and all of international space law as we know it right now. Wow. Um, you got anything else you want to talk about? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think more needs to be included for private enterprise. Yeah. But private enterprise right now seems to be banking on the fact that that just will be the case because a lot of rich people are putting a lot of money um, into getting things into outer space, and I don't think they would be doing it if they didn't think that they were going to receive a return. No, absolutely not. Like Jeff Bezos with um, Blue Origin, like his whole thing, like Elon Musk's whole thing is like getting to Mars and colonizing new places, right? Not mm-hmm. having all our eggs in one basket. But Bezos. And Bezos is all about just putting industry into orbit. Oh, yeah. So like that's a much less glamorous goal, but I think it's the more important goal right now. God, what else are you going to dream about when you have that much goddamn money? Right? <laughs> and... and you know, the guy has a terrible record um, as far as kind of like seeming to care about people, especially little people. Oh, yeah. But um, his employees, I think that that is overall an altruistic goal, even if it's motivated by profit and stuff like that. Even if he's just like, this is going to happen, I'm going to be the first person to do it. Yeah. Um, I think he sees the writing on the wall, but I don't think he's just like, you know. Oh, uh, ultimately, like, fuck y'all! I want to be, I want to be famous for space. He actually sees it as a benefit for mankind. He's not just doing it. No, I'm saying the opposite. I think he's you probably think... mostly doing it for himself. Really? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's nothing about him and his past activity that says like... he's like a really altruistic person. Yeah. No. He does get a little money though. Yeah, and uh, you know what? Um dovetailing interests i don't care what his motive is as long as he gets us up there and gets us doing this stuff because it's the only way we're gonna really ascend yeah and it's the only way yeah it's the only logical way to ascend as a civilization and Mm. it's the only way we're going to be able to continue progress and maintain the earth the way i think most of us want to see it in a more pristine state like none of us want our rivers lighting on fire or like groundwater disappearing or no. you know acidic oceans people don't really want those things a lot of people want to continue doing the activities that do those things and so they deny that they're doing that but or that is having a negative effect but i don't think they want that negative effect to be there it doesn't help no, them nobody nobody goes along on an endeavor especially for like money or wealth in or like 
and there is like a potentially negative consequence where like half the world will be like basically destroyed. Nobody goes into that endeavor and is like, yeah, that's like fine. That happens. You're going to try to take some precautions against it. Yeah. Otherwise, people would just dump bleach into rivers yeah. all the time. Mm. They'd be much more cleaner. True. <laughs> a lot less jargon. Anyway, you want to end it? Yeah. All right. That is it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Our logo and website designed by Monet Moran. I want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon. Your support means everything to me, to us, and the show itself. If you want to support the show too, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or comment on Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you're covered by the treaty because you're out of this world. Bye now. Mm-hmm.